Well, even though Fred is talking, we're going to get started. So um, we're in the second chapter of First Peter. We're in, if you're following in your uh, notes that we passed at page six under that item, the duty of Christian submission. And um, you kind of have to do the whole book again of First Peter to understand what he's doing, but I'm not going to do that. Almost all of you are pretty consistently with me in the class. So what Peter is doing here is now focusing on kind of the product of salvation and the transformation that Christ brings and so on to our life. And in verse 13, it's, we're just getting started in that, which will go through part of chapter 3. He's talking, now I hope you'll follow me here. He's talking about what ethical obligations do we have? If we are, if we are, Believers in Christ, and we're transformed by him through his spirit and all that we, we, we've talked about before. How then do we relate to the broader culture, the broader society, as well as representing Christ in that broader culture and broader society? And uh, just to remind you again, verse 13 begins, and I'm reading from the ESV translation, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's how they translate that. And I like that because Peter is framing it in such a way, what are our ethical obligations as Christ's ambassadors to the broader culture? Do I defy government? Do I defy, defy my boss, et cetera, if I disagree with him or whatever? And so he, he's talking about the virtue of submission. Now that's... That's a, that's a term that today, almost everybody in our postmodern culture kind of pushes back on that word, <laughs> whether you're talking about in family relationships or business relationships or in church relationships or whatever. But it is a major principle of Scripture that the believer is to submit to authority. And, and we, I know we had talked about that before. I'm just quickly reviewing a couple of things to, again, set the framework for this. That God... God's desire is for order and that which is conducive to life. So that which is conducive to order and that which is conducive to life. That's what he calls in the Old Testament that which is good. And the first place to start with that is Genesis chapter 1. And so therefore you and I are to reflect that in how we live our lives. We're not interested in disorder, dysfunction, and rebellion. We're interested in order and stability. So it's, it's, and I know I've said this before, it is amazing, verse 13, 14, and 15, that Peter is writing this when Caesar Nero is on the throne. And I don't know if, if you have enough of a background in Roman uh, history. I mean, Nero was not a nice man. <laughs> I mean, he was a despicable ruler. And, and just almost anything you can imagine that an evil ruler would do, he did it including murdering his family and, and killing so many people they didn't trust, he was afraid of, and just kind of almost insane things. And he probably, at the end of it, went insane because he killed himself. So, I mean, that's just, that it adds to the, the power of the dynamic of this council, submit. Now, we did talk about last week, and I don't want to create a bunny trail because we talked a little bit about that, but one of the other principles of God's word is you submit to authority until it's a sin to submit to authority. If authority asks you to do something that clearly violates God's moral law, you are not under obligation to do that, but you may have to live with the consequences of that. And that's what martyrdom was all about in the early church. You know, Rome, Rome said, don't preach Christ. They preach Christ, and they would kill them because they didn't do that. So, again, I'm just reviewing some of the things we talked about last week. So, in verse 16, the Apostle Peter shifts from a kind of, I want you to understand why it is important for you to be submission, that submissive, that is coming under the authority of the institution God has created. God's created the state, God's created family, etc. They're all things he's created. So, what he does now is he puts a very positive dimension to this. You are to live as people who are free. 
Now, for you and me in the United States of America, that resonates. <laughs> because when you hear a word like that, you think of the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. You think of the first ten amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. I mean, you, that's how you think, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Peter has in mind here far, far more than any kind of political freedom. He's talking about the freedom that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. So, what I would like to do for just a moment is talk about this word, free, let's make it into a noun, freedom, okay? Now, again, um, it is important for me as we think about this, I don't want you to think of this term and the way Peter is using it here as just political freedom. Or as a matter of fact, probably that is not how he's thinking about it when he writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's not talking about political freedom necessarily. So what is he talking about? So when we talk about freedom as the Bible uses it, now the way I'm doing this, you probably think there are going to be multiple ways to think about this. And if that's your conclusion, you're right. <laughs> so uh, let's, and I, I, I want you to think with me about this, process this with me. Another cross-reference here might be John chapter 8 where Jesus, I believe it's verse 32. Now, I might be off a verse or two there, but Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, S-O-N, if the Son, Son of God, makes you free, you will be free indeed. And so, in, un undeniably, Peter has that in mind, how the Lord uses it, how his Lord, how his, his Master, Jesus, used that term. So, help me now to think through this. This is what is called class participation. Okay? But just seriously, what, what, what does that mean? When Peter says, live as people who are free, who are free. When Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. So what's involved in that? You should be able to be free to worship. What? Okay. Free to serve. I'm just embellishing a little bit your word. And to worship. God, and so on, and all that's involved in that. Good, okay. What else? Certainly, yes. Rob? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Certainly, it's from, and let's use the term that the Bible does use, bondage yeah. to sin. This word I have was uncovered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, this, is, this, is a, this is a profound and deep and unmistakable dimension of freedom. Because the scriptures make it very clear, and I, I'm pretty certain most of you don't have any trouble understanding that. Sin does enslave. There's a bondage to sin. And so Christ, part of what Jesus meant in John 8, and certainly how he is, uh, how Peter's using it here, freedom from things, and certainly sin, that bind you. You know, I, Peggy and I have been, uh, we often watch uh, PBS News, at night because they have a little more extended. They've, they've had a series on the opioid crisis in America. Now, if any of you saw it, oh, man, I, I mean, I've read about it. I've heard, I've talked to somebody that has been on pain medication, but I'm, this is the most serious crisis, drug crisis in the history of our country. I had no idea how serious this was. And what, among other things, what they talk about is you know, these are not necessarily, in some cases there are, but these are not necessarily people out on the, on the, the, you know, the red districts of our urban areas shooting up heroin. These are people who are, they guess so, they're middle class people, they're wealthy people who have an accident or get into a situation where they're in terrible pain. And they started the pharmaceutical industries in conjunction with the doctors back about 10 years ago. We're developing products to help people manage pain. And so it's a good thing. It was a very positive thing that started in the pharmaceutical industry because they hadn't tested it, I guess it was so. There is no problem with this becoming addictive. Well, there is a problem with this becoming addictive. 
And so, I mean, it starts with, but it, now, it's, of course, it's spread and lots of other people. But I, as I was watching that, I thought, here's an example of something that puts you into bondage. And innocently so. I mean, you don't start down that trail. I mean, if you're a druggie and so on, that's another point. That's not what I'm saying. It's just an illustration. And you can become, you can become in bondage to entertainment. You can become in bondage to, obviously, you know, other drugs or tobacco or alcohol or pornography or... And see, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I will not be mastered by anything. That's an insightful kind of comment about a life in Christ, except Jesus. That's what he says. He says, I am free in Christ, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so, Peter, it seems to me, is really stressing this so that we can do this, and what else? Because remember the context. The context is in, in these verses here, starting verse 13, is on our life of submission to authority. So how does being free fit into that? We can, we're free to choose. Free to choose. Free to choose that which is good and that which is evil. That which is pleasing to the Lord, that which is displeasing to the Lord. So what he's really when you talk about freedom... You're talking about that dimension of the human condition, which is our will. And so it is, it is, we have that capacity now in Christ to choose to not be in bondage to sin, to serve and worship our Lord, and to choose every day that which is good and righteous and pleasing to the Lord and reject that which is not. Because you see, before you came to faith in Christ, all three of these were either non-existent or extremely limited. I'm going to make it theological. Before Jesus Christ came into your life, you could not not sin. It's a double negative. But once Christ comes into your life, and through the power of his Holy Spirit, you now have the capacity and power to reject sin. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to never sin again. I don't think that's true. But one of the things about growth and maturity in Christ is you learn that I have the power and the capacity and I would add the authority in Christ to choose to reject that which is evil. And so this, this whole concept of Christian freedom, which in a way is really what he's addressing here, this whole concept of Christian freedom is a is an exciting, an exciting idea to really investigate and think about. P Peter, uh, Paul says it, Peter says it, we are free in Christ. See, freedom and liberation is a big term today. But I would contend that almost everyone's view of freedom outside of Christ, every, almost everyone's view of freedom and liberation is really freedom and liberation based on autonomy. I can do whatever I want. And I don't know about you, but when I watch people live that way, they are on the path to bondage, not on the path to freedom. Fred, you were about uh, when, when we serve, we do things for people based on this book and what God wants us to do in the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are worshiping. It's, it's worshiping in the present tense when we're engaged in that. We are worshiping Christ, and we are worshiping God. Would you say, I mean, do you, is, is that how you tie those serving and worshiping mm -hmm. together? Mm -hmm. It is, but we don't think of it oftentimes that way. That's we right. Do That's things, right. and we don't consider it a form of worshiping our God. Absolutely. We're going to read here in the next paragraph about verse 18 following, about how you look at work your vocation, how you look at what you do for a living, as we put it. And there, there is 
by we'll look at this in a minute. We're going to look a little bit at Colossians three as well. There is a path to liberation, freedom that very few people ever really discover. And I mean, I want to talk a little bit about, but the, another way of saying that, Fred, because I think that's kind of where you're headed too, is freedom to the believer, freedom we have in Christ, is to see our life, our lifestyle, and everything we do as forms of worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do all to the glory of God. And, and the operative word there is all. <laughs> And so you, you, and that's, that is, that is so foreign, honestly, that is so foreign to everyone outside of Christ. You don't understand that. Because we have the tendency to, and I think Christians struggle with that, we have the tendency to compartmentalize our life. You know, what I do on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, for example, is my time for God. And I know he really appreciates that. But what I do on Monday morning or Saturday afternoon, that's my time. Now, I don't think anybody would so, so bluntly and brazenly put it that way, but that's really how they live. So can a, a, a believer who loves the Lord and is go out and play a, golf to, play a round of golf to the glory of God? Absolutely. I mean, even talk to him as you're... You know, on a double bogey, and you know, and you just say, "Thank you, Lord, for helping me to miss these." And you know, I'm really being humorous there, and you know, but golf is an addiction. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says, <laughs> including golf. But so, to me, and I would I would tell my students this every year in ethics: following Christ is the path of freedom. It should never be the path of bondage. You should look at everything you do in a totally different way now. Sleep, brushing your teeth, eating a meal, playing golf, cutting the grass, caring for your kids, playing with your grandkids. Jesus is involved and interested in all of that. And it's important to him. And so, you know, and, and John was correct. I mean, golf can become addictive. So you're just you know just making it very clear. This is not this game's not gonna master me. I'm gonna enjoy it, I'm gonna try to do the best I can, I'm gonna try to work hard, I wanna excel in it, but I'm doing it for the glory of God, but it's not gonna master me. Just like entertainment choices, I mean anything, anything that's good basically can master you. And you don't want to be that way. So this concept of Christian freedom, freedom in Christ is something that you and I need to think about and meditate upon. And just remember, it is, as I forget who said that, but freedom from the bondage to sin. That's a liberating concept. That's liberating. And then adding to it, as John brought it up, so I keep pointing to him, but that even in the things I do as I make the choices, a choice is the good things of my life, I won't be mastered by those things. I won't be mastered by it. I'm only going to be mastered by Jesus. Nothing else. And it takes us, as we say a thousand times in this class, it takes us a long time to understand this. I think also, you know, we can be addicted to just about anything. Absolutely. Like TV or... Absolutely. Or... Twitter or absolutely. whatever. You know? No, absolutely. And, and uh, we can be addicted to money, you know, where that's absolutely. our biggest thing and one of the biggest things in our yeah. life, you know. Absolutely. And uh, I know that there was a time in my life when I worked many, many hours per day, you know, thinking that I needed to catch up. From, you know. Work, I mean, work is an example of that. Work can master you and control you. And work is, well, we're going to be talking about some of that in just a minute. This, to me, I have watched, and I have to work on it. This thing is <laughs> I mean, it That's really is. And I mean, you, I walked, I walked into, I have a 6.30 uh, a.m. Uh, Bible study with a group of guys uh, in uh, Regency. Uh, 
in the Coley Justin building. And I walked in, it was about 25 after six. There were seven guys there, and five of the seven were on their phone. <laughs> and I just looked at that, I just I didn't say anything. I just looked at it, I thought, you yeah, know, that is really interesting. It's not even six thirty, and they're already, yeah. you know, it's just and I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were sending some to the grandchildren or their wife or whatever. But it was just really fascinating. And and I don't know if you're around young people, and I'm, young people, I mean middle school up to college age, their life, I mean, it, 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 everything revolves around this thing. And adults are getting just to be like those, those teenagers. And there is, again, for the believer, there's nothing wrong with an iPhone. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous tool. But you have to always remember Paul's principle. I will not be mastered by anything. So you have to make sure that this thing isn't mastering you. And my wife is my wife is so much more faithful than I am. The way my wife masters this thing is every day she turns it off. She doesn't turn it to vibrate. She turns it off for three hours. No, she's radical. You know, <laughs> she's a radical. But she's just—I mean, she just she will not she will not be mastered by the thing because you know the phone rings or there's a text, you know, the ding for a text message or the special sound you have for an email or something like that. I don't know why I'm shared that about Peggy, but that's just she's very serious about that. She won't be mastered by anything, so she turns it off. Well, wives are helpmates, and they yeah. have to show us. Sometimes. Yeah exposing the terrible frailties that we have in life. <laughs> Howard Hendricks used to say to us, men, this is a great, I've never forgotten this, men, say no to something every day just to keep in practice. You know, it's just, it, it, it's a very innocuous statement. It doesn't have anything specific in mind, but just say no to something every day just to keep in practice. Rob, you were going to say something. Well, you know the, the First Corinthians. Six twelve. I I think, huh? Six twelve. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Fred had looked it up for us, right? Thank On you. On his cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, he, he's ma- he's mastering the cell phone to to benefit it, Tom. So, am I correct in saying my freedom to choose is also my freedom to choose? to be in a relationship with someone who chooses a different lifestyle than me. Uh, I, I don't mean in a romantic relationship, yeah. but let's say a friend who is homosexual. Mm. Uh, to befriend that friend, that, that person, and to try to be the body of Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the freedom, the freedom is another way of putting it. The freedom we have in Christ is not license. You know what I mean? But to do whatever you want to do. Right. But it's the it's the it's the freedom to do that which is always honoring to the Lord. And certainly, at least it seems to me, Jesus modeled for us how do we relate to people that choose a lifestyle that is utterly repugnant to God. Jesus had yeah. you know, relationships, or at least reached out to prostitutes and. Mm-hmm. And publicans, those, that old word that King James translates for tax collectors, people were utterly, utterly repugnant to everybody. wouldn't have anything to do with them, but Jesus reached out to them. Not legitimizing or sanctioning how they've chosen to live their lives, but saying there's another way, and I'm going to show you the other way. You'll have to choose, but I'm going to show you another way to live your life. And I lo- I, Zacchaeus is one of my favorites in Jericho because... Zacchaeus, in Jericho, Zacchaeus would not have been a guy who's walking down the street. Everybody's, hi, Zacchaeus, how are you doing? They'd go to the other side of the street to make sure they don't even say hi to this guy. And yet Jesus reaches out. He's up in the sycamore tree and reaches, reaches out to him. Today I'm coming to your house. Just imagine how everybody in Jericho would have thought, he's going to Zacchaeus' house? Now this is really stretching it, but it would be like Jesus saying to Hugh Hefner, I'm coming to your house today. He just died. I don't know if you remember that. He just died. And it was just, I mean, somebody that would just be, for the people who are serious about the Lord, it would be absolutely repugnant to say that. But Jesus did. And what happened? Zacchaeus was transformed. Not only his relationship with God, but his relationship with people. How he paid back the, the, the extra money he had collected, which he was able to do as a tax collector for Rome. 
Yeah, they were very wealthy people because Rome would say, collect, I'll make it up, a dollar from everybody, you collect four. What do you do with the difference? You pocket it. I mean, they hated those people. Jesus reaches out to them. So that, yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that freedom that we have to represent Christ if we're comfortable with it to anyone. Because don't forget, when, when, when we are commanded to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves, there are things Jesus talks about. Um, don't forget, I mean, at, at, at bottom, when you shake it all down, agape love is relational. It, it's, you, you can't, love is relational by definition. You, you, you can't love somebody abstractly. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean by that. So, I mean, yeah, if you're comfortable with doing that, yeah, it's the freedom to reach out to people who need the Savior. If you're not comfortable with doing it, don't fake it. You know. <laughs> but I've really been struggling. Uh, a couple of months ago, I, I sat through a sermon in which the, uh, the man at the, the pulpit really started gay bashing. Mm. And I got really, really vicious mm. stuff. And I didn't stand up and call him out. And it's probably wise. But no, but I know where you're. Yeah, wife, I'm, wife, I'm only kidding. My but wife said, John, if you've done that, we love the church, and we love the church. We love. The yeah. We love the man. Yeah. He's a, he's he, good preacher of the word of God, but. He got off on a rabbit trail. Yeah. And I just struggled with, you know, should I have should I have sat there as I did and well, John, you're bringing up you're bringing up one of the issues I think that is challenging the Church of Jesus Christ. How do we represent Christ at the LGBTQIA movement with all those letters have different meanings? And, you know, I've had, um, I've had a couple of opportunities to talk to people who are in that uh, community, and, and uh, I've reached this conclusion, and I, I might be wrong on this, but I've reached this conclusion. You know, at the, the at, at the foundation of all of this, the LGBTQ and all those different labels and so on, is it's basically an identity issue. My identity, my worth, and my value is in my sexuality. And the Bible would want to help folks like that to see that is not the basis of your worth, value, and identity. The beginning point of your worth, value, and identity is you're creating the image of God and that Jesus Christ has died for you and been resurrected in power for you so that you can now find your identity in him. 242 times in the New Testament, in Christ is used. And it's almost always by Paul, but it's in Hebrews too. It, it describes in a phrase, and then you have to look at all the context to see the incredible comprehensive nature of it, that is the basis of our identity. We're a new creature, creature in Christ. All things have, old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. Um, we're to begin to take off the old, Ephesians 2, 20, uh, 2, 23, 24, renew our mind and put on the new. All of those things. So it's Helping someone who is struggling with the basis of my identity and value and worth. Is it my gender and my sexuality, or is it my relationship with the living God? You see, if they just focus on gender and sexuality, they will never, ever, ever find peace. Ever. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that we're really starting to see in people who don't even care about Christianity at all. Are finding this. This is creating enormous dysfunction and disorientation in people's lives. They're flitting from one thing to another thing to another thing. They're trying bisexual relationships, you know. And and because of, the, the, I hope you'll follow how I'm saying this. There's a faddishness to the transgender movement now, and technology and medicine and government and military. Well, at least until that, if that changes, they'll fund it all. 
You know what I mean? And I just, I know a ninth grade kid is not a kid who's going to think he or she are not, they're not going to think wisely and carefully about their identity. They're following the crowd and they're seeing all the sexual things that are happening and friends who are choosing bisexual and they're lesbians and gays and then tomorrow they're, they have a relationship with a guy. You know, it's just, it's just, but that's, that's, that's the nature of adolescence. It's a confusing time. It's a hard time. But as Christian Smith and other, he's a Christian sociologist, has observed, one of the things that's happening in American society is adolescence is now going well into the mid-20s. I mean, because that confusion is extending well into the 20s. And some are starting to argue it's into the late 20s. To where teenagers, especially guys more than gals, are starting to figure out, who am I? Where are my strengths? You know, who am I? Well, the Bible answers that question. But until and unless you find Jesus, you're not probably going to answer that question. To where you're going to find order and stability and purpose and meaning in your life. So, um, remember how we got on this? But oh, yeah, yeah. But that that is that is a, and and if 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 we're comfortable with that, we should reach out to to individuals in that community if we're comfortable with it I mean don't fake it but if you are because they need Jesus died for them they were created in the image of God they were worth and value to God and so what we want to do is give them an opportunity to hear the truth and respond to the truth men you do realize we have only dealt with a phrase and it's 20 minutes after 12. We've dealt with a whole lot. No, but we have. Yeah, but I mean, if, let me get back on, on the text. Is any everybody with any other questions or comments? Thanks for the No, yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that up. I really do. Cause, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, so we're, we're still in 16, right? <laughs> we are, yes. We're only in the middle of verse 16. So. I haven't covered everything up to as a cover-up for evil. I haven't covered that yet. Okay, you're getting there. We're doing that. Because you got the living in Yep. Yep. No, no, absolutely. So uh, that was, Glenn and I actually had that plan that he was going to get me moving on to the rest of the Bible. So, okay. Live as people are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Okay, let's take that apart. Negative and a positive. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, that, that resonates with us because since Watergate, cover-up's a phrase we're real familiar with. So what does he mean by that? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. What, what, what do you think he's getting at there? <clears throat> Rob, yeah, go ahead. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to try to stay out of what I usually focus on. But, you know, I, I think about this virtually every day. It's about who we're accountable to. We're accountable to somebody. And there are probably three main choices in politics, but one of them is accountability to yourself. And if you believe that delusion, pursue it. You know, in politics we call it anarchy, but I can certainly see the connection between being accountable only to yourself, mm. and, that, and especially if you don't believe in the devil, you don't believe in the Lord, who else do you have? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At that point, there's only one other choice, mm-hmm. and and you are you are when you're covering yourself, you don't even realize that you're covering up you because I don't know if you at that point mm-hmm. really understand the concept. I you've you've really nailed it. He is he is talking here about freedom can be used to justify monstrous things, evil things. Uh, In psychology, we call it rationalizing. Um, We we call it, my my freedom means I can do whatever I want, and you are right, if I am not accountable to God, or I don't recognize my accountability to God, or recognize my accountability to government, or recognize my accountability to my pastor, because that is a 
your church is, if you're a part of a church, that's part of your, your responsibility, or to my spouse, or to my boss, or anything, then what are you saying? Then I really can do anything I want. My freedom justifies it. I'm free. I can justify doing whatever I want. See, Peter is Peter's addressing here, even Christians can say, my freedom in Christ is autonomy. See, that was, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, that was what was really an issue in Corinth. In Corinth, they were misinterpreting what Christian liberty meant. Because their view of things was the body is evil, the spirit is good. When I die, my body, so I can do whatever I want with my body because God's going to destroy it. Now, to you and me, that sounds bizarre. I mean, I think it probably sounds bizarre to you. But in, in a society, in a culture and civilization, which is what the first century was, where their view was the physical world is evil, it's going to be destroyed, only the spiritual world will endure, then I can do whatever I want with my spirit, with my body, with the physical world. It doesn't matter because God's going to destroy it. Going into the grave, he's going he's gonna to burn it, and create, so I can do whatever I want. That's what he's dealing with. You can take your freedom and make it into license and still think it's okay with God. Because after all, God's going to destroy everything. My body's going into the grave. So I have a spiritual relationship with him, but I can do whatever I want with my body. That's what the Corinthians were saying. Read chapter 8, 9, and 10. That's what they were saying they were doing. It doesn't matter what we do with our body because God's going to destroy it. So you're using freedom to cover up evil. Do you think that was an accommodation or a real belief? Well, I don't know if I can get in, uh, discern all those motives, but uh, Fred, the basic worldview of the Greco-Roman society was a dualistic worldview. Plato taught that, Aristotle taught that. The, The body is really evil, only the spirit, the soul is good. And death is the liberation of the soul from the body, which is a good thing. And therefore, what they would say, whatever you do with your body, it's okay. And as a Christian, so you factor Christian theology into that. My body's going into the grave. My soul and spirit will live forever. But see, neglecting the doctrine of the resurrection, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And see, when Peter is saying this, that's, that's why I'm trying to explain it this way. It's hard for you and me to understand that, because I think for the most part, I certainly hope that's true, Christians today who know God's word understand that the body matters to God, and what we do with the body matters to God. And what we do with, Paul says, make the parts of your body instruments of righteousness, not instruments of evil. Uh, And so he's saying there are people, this is Peter now, there are people in your world, Christians, who are even in your church, who are saying, my freedom in Christ means I can do anything I want with my body because the body's going to be destroyed. So what are you doing? You're covering up evil in the name of freedom. And, and Peter is challenging that. No, because you're living as servants, literally douloi, that's a bond servant, a douloi of God. I'm a servant of God, and if I serve God, then everything I do is important to him. It takes us, we're full circle, it takes us back to our earlier discussion. Everything I do is important to God. Every thought, every action, every motive, every act is important to God. So my freedom is, again, these are the things we've talked about. My freedom is God-centered. I'm free from, and now free to. From the bondage of sin, to serve him, serve others, and to choose responsibly and wisely in bringing glory to him. Now, I hope all that I've just said is, that is, when you start, when you really start coming to terms with that, what a wondrous way to live our lives. So, I mean, back to what we were saying, John kept bringing it up. You, are you free to go out and play a round of golf and really enjoy it? Absolutely. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't say, well, I should, 
I should be going to church instead of playing around the golf. Well, if you do it on Sunday morning at 11, maybe you probably should rethink that. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, no, God, you know, God delights in us enjoying what he has created, enjoying the, the, the athletics, and enjoying all of the things. that. There's nothing wrong with that. But as John was saying, if you go out and play golf every single day and you don't do anything else, and the golf is now enslaving you. Bonus. So, uh, I mean, it's, but to have that freedom to go out and, I'm just using this, go out and cut your grass to the glory of God and enjoy it. Isn't that how God wants us to look at it? To take your wife out to a, a lovely meal together, does God want you to enjoy that? Or does you, I really want you to feel guilty about this. You know, I know you're spending $50. I want you to feel guilty about that. That is not how the Lord looks at that. Does God want you to delight enjoying a cup of coffee with a Reese's peanut butter cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's covering up evil. No. I Use license several times here. Yeah. Could you define it and differentiate it from freedom? Well, license is the sense that I can do anything I want. There are my freedom. If freedom is license, there are no limits to my freedom. That's another way of putting it. That is, and that, of course, uh, that that is repugnant to the New Testament. Well, really, the Old Testament too. But and it would be, I think, repugnant to God. That is not what He means by freedom. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think what the Bible shows is a lifestyle of license is the lifestyle of bondage. License is authority. Absolutely. And, and so you have the authority to make that choice, mm -hmm. and you can, you can choose one way or the other. Yeah. So, you have license. You have license to be here or be somewhere else. Freedom to be here or somewhere. You have a license to exercise your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> to a point, but I, I, I and it, almost the discussion today, in the discussion today, that, that definition is almost implicit. But the license being, that's what you would get if you're accountable only to yourself. He's using it more in a, in a negative sense, but in, 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 the, in the grand total of things, you, you, you exercise license to... Sure, there are, are things that are valid licenses to do certain yeah. things. But we, we've taken the word license and expanded it into a, a, a beautiful adjective, licentiousness. It's a great word, licentiousness. And that is not a positive word. That, that is a term that describes uh, depravity and debauchery in its extreme. And that is not what God's calling us to. Now look at the, can we get one more verse done here? In verse 17, in verse 17... Peter is bang, 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 bang. Four commands. You're in an imperative mood. These are four commands. And this is what he's talking about. Let, let me just paraphrase a little bit. Okay, Peter, live as who are free, servants of God. What does that look like? Give, give, me, give me some boundaries here. What does that look like? So verse 17 is an exhaustive. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not, it's not describing it completely and fully. It's four elements of a life of freedom in Christ. First, honor everyone. And the Greek word there is teme. And that, the best way to translate that is honor. So honor everyone. <laughs> what does he mean? Can I suggest something? see people the way God sees people. Now, I, I, believe, I believe this is a biblical statement. When God looks at a human being, regardless of who they are, God first sees that person I created in my image. Therefore, they have worth and value. And since life is 
the Bible makes this very clear. Life is a continuum. It's a continuum. It begins at conception and goes on to eternity. So at any stage in life, we should honor that person. Seeing that person, a one-day-old, a 94-year-old, a Down syndrome baby, a 90-year-old with Alzheimer's. They are of worth, as long as they're drawing breath, they are of worth and value to God because he created them in his image. And, I would add, they're redeemable. In other words, they are capable of putting their faith in Christ. Now, that, there's where the whole issue of the, you know, the human will and all that stuff comes in. But that's, I struggle with that. I, do you guys struggle with that? Honor everyone? I struggle with that. Where I saw the, big, the biggest difference for me was if you visit the Hindu and Buddhist cultures mm. and how they treat people of different classes. Mm. The contrast is that will set you down, set mm. me down, mm. without question. That's interesting, yeah. Because the caste system. Yeah. Because how they treat people of a lower caste mm. How they go into an argument, not necessarily a, a, a bad one, but just just a, a, a banner back and forth. If they're not of the same caste, mm. they're treated differently. Yeah, I've 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 uh, read that and, and talked with people about that. For the caste system was declared illegal a long time ago, but it's still there. In China, it's alive and well. In yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very much a part of of how. People look at one another and regard one another. And the caste system says you cannot go outside your See, that's why um, Christianity and you know you're dealing with fallen people and people who struggle with sin even after they come to Christ. But Christianity historically has been the most leveling egalitarian force in human history. Now, I grant, I mean, you know, are there imperfections? Absolutely, it's all over the place. But the true, true force of liberating in all forms of society has been Christianity. I mean, I, that's just a, that's a fact. And, uh, but it, it takes a long time. But, I, you know, there's an interesting book. I don't know if you're interested in things like this, but a historian named Rodney Stark, S-T-A-R-K, has written several books on this theme. The, the impact, the impact that Christianity has had in history. And it's compared to, and that's what I'm bringing up, brought up, so I'll use that, compared to Hinduism or Buddhism, or might I even add Islam. In terms of, I mean, the seeing people the way God sees people and how that affects society. I know you know this, but just, you know, what, what brought the end of slavery in the British Empire? A Christian named William Wilberforce. What brought the end of slavery in the United States? A group of people who came to faith in Christ in the Second Great Awakening. What, what brought the eventual f political freedom for women? The Seneca Falls Conference of 1848 was led by evangelical women. Now, it, it un, you know, tragically it developed in the 20th, middle of the 20th century into a radical feminism, but it was just, okay, who, when you look at, when you look at, the, you read the Gospel of Luke, the one thing that Luke does more than Matthew, Mark, or John does is focus on the women in Jesus' ministry. You look in Luke chapter 8, the key financial supporters of Jesus' ministry were women. Three women are mentioned as the financial supporters of Jesus' ministry. Now, I'm saying all that because what, what Peter is saying here, honor honor everyone, God looks at people of worth and value because he created in his image, he loves them, and he has provided a, a means for them to be redeemed. That's how we should look at people. And I, I, I'm telling you, this is one of the things I because I don't want to do that. There are people I just really struggle with. And I would just wish they would go away from my life, you know, and go somewhere. Now, I'm being a little humorous here, but I'm pretty sure, I can't imagine I'm the only one around this table who struggles with that. And so Peter is saying, freedom means choosing 
to see people the way God sees people. And, you know, my wife has taught me that. That really is a path of freedom. Because then bitterness and anger and frustration starts to dissipate just a little bit when you understand that person needs Jesus. Is it any wonder they've made a mess of their life? Maybe I can help as I represent the Savior to get them on the path of freedom. Well, this is too convicting. Let's move on. Love the brotherhood. Uh, ESV translates that, the brotherhood. So, honor everyone broad. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church. The church is an organic body of Christ. That's what he means here. So, wow, okay. So I honor every human being of respect and dignity and worth and value because that's how God looks at them. And he wants them to come to salvation in his son. But I agape my brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter, uh, sorry, Paul says that in 1 Timothy 5. You, You have concentric circles in your life. You honor and serve and love your family. You honor and serve, you love your church, you the body. And then you honor those outside. And you love, too. I mean, it's just it, the, the priority of you know, loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, maybe that's not true for all of you, but in my church, there are some people that it's pretty hard to love them. I know you don't know what I mean. Then thirdly is fear God. Now fear, and we've talked about this before, but fear in the Bible is a worship word. I mean, that's really the way to understand it. Fear, fear God. It's worshipfully, reverentially seeing him and understanding him for who he is, but it's, it's really worshiping and, and being devoted to him. And as Fred was mentioning very early on this morning, you know, seeing our work, seeing our leisure, seeing everything is worshipful. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. First Corinthians 10.31, you're getting nauseated, me keep bringing that up, but First Corinthians 10.31 is a good verse to just connect with. Fear God. What does that mean? I do all to the glory of God. I'm conscious. I'm conscious of him. I, I want to serve him. I want to worship him. In, in everything I do, worshipfully. First Corinthians 10, 31. Mm-hmm. And then he throws this in. Honor the emperor. And that, that's, that's almost shocking when you understand the first century culture. This is Caesar. This is autocratic, ruthless Rome who ruled by terror and fear. If you got out of line, the Roman legions were there to crush you. As long as you didn't care, they didn't care what you did. But you get out of line. And so Peter is saying, oh, it's almost like, by the way, honor Caesar. How does that apply to us? Not all four of those, the last one. How does that apply to us? Andrew. The Bible says that leadership is God ordained for God's purposes, whether it's a good person in that role yeah. or an evil person yeah. in that role. It's for God's purposes. What what it's it's Timae again, it's the same word we saw up at the beginning of verse 17. To honor Nero, you know, Andrew's right. When Nero comes to the throne, it didn't catch God off guard. It doesn't mean that God necessarily, if I can put it in human terms, would have preferred somebody else. Well, yeah, 
But this is a, an empire that's in utter and total rebellion against him. Rome does not represent anything that represents Christ. But at the same time, at that particular point in history, what Paul calls in Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time, at just the right moment of human history, God sends Jesus. This was a unified Mediterranean world where the gospel could spread quickly because of the Roman road system, where there was a degree of stability and order which conduced to the spread of the gospel. So Peter says, honor. What does that mean, honor? It was respect. It doesn't mean approve of. It doesn't mean sanction. You mean by sanction, approve, you sanction everything they're doing, it's okay. But to honor them. Because for Daniel 7, chapter 4, verses 17 and 25, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, make it very clear what Andrew just said. Authority is set up by God. And rulers are in power because God has permitted them to be there for him to accomplish his purposes. So does God use evil people to accomplish his righteous purposes? Yeah, I mean, he does. So, I mean, so from that perspective, fearing God means you will honor the emperor. You will give respect to the emperor. And the more you think about that, and the more you process that, the more you push back and say, but, and then you give, and that's okay. And, and remember, he is, not, he is not saying, he's not saying you approve of, you sanction, and that's not what he's saying. You honor the emperor. Because God put him there. Or you could use the verb, God allowed him, permitted him to be there. Yeah, I was. You, you, thank you. I was just going to say, what would that also involve? Paul tells us in in First Timothy, pray for those who are in authority over you. I often would tell people when, when I was still president, I still did a lot of conference work, but I would used to say, I used to say to people if I were preaching on something, I says, uh, no, that would also mean that you're honoring Barack Obama and you're praying for Barack Obama. And then people would stand up and walk out of the church and <laughs> tell me I'm never inviting you back again. But isn't that, isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, no, you know, evangelicals, they don't have any trouble, you know, praying for and, and being approving of Donald Trump, I guess. But, you know, with, with Obama or the Clintons or whatever, you know, it didn't catch God off guard that they got elected. So, again, honor, pray, not necessarily approve, but it's just, and that's hard, especially in a democratic republic because we have a role in electing people. Well, that, that's not a really nice way to end the class, to <clears throat> be talking about the politics of the United States. But I, I'm asking you to really think just of those four action verbs what what does what is a life that's free, living as servants of God looks like? Four suggestive ideas that appear. So um, tomorrow, uh, strike that. Uh, next Wednesday, we're going to look at verse eighteen, and this is and this is in the context of the ancient world, but we will apply it. This is in the context of the workplace. What does submission to authority look like in the workplace? And it's a wonderful section. We're gonna we're gonna be looking at Colossians three twenty two as as well. So if you if you really want to prepare well for this, if it's up to you. But read as a cross reference Colossians three twenty two through chapter four verse one. They correspond together, and we'll be we drawing on both of those. So I'm gonna pray. Lord, thank you that we are free in Christ. And because of Jesus and his um, death, burial, and resurrection, what we apply to our life, we are free from the bondage of sin. It no longer has authority over us. And we begin to learn what that really means. We begin to learn that uh, Jesus has triumphed over everything and that I am free in Christ. 
And that bondage to sin becomes more and more meaningful. And we learn to no longer allow those things to master us. We master them because of the power of Christ that comes through his Holy Spirit. We're also free then to worship and serve you and to choose in, a, in an incredible way, to choose to do that which is right in your eyes, to honor people, to, to love brothers and sisters in Christ, and to be the kind of, of individuals who worshipfully bring everything to you and bring glory to you through everything we do, and even honor those in authority that we disagree with. And in the first century, that meant emperor, that meant Caesar. So, Lord, these are very radical thoughts, but they are the examples of that path of liberation and freedom. We're free in Christ. Help us to grow in our understanding what that really means in each one of our lives. And we thank you that you have freed us most of all from the bondage of sin. May we rejoice in that and learn more and more what that really means as we shed the old and put on the new. Be with these men. They're all very special to me. I ask you to watch over them. Ask you to take care of them, give them wisdom in all the responsibilities, discernment in all the choices they need to make, and as we always try to pray, enable them to represent you well in all they say and do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you next week.